race control. Uh, are we still going to have a post credit sequence after this show? Absolutely. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Sadly, we didn't keep you four hours in the rain to bring you this podcast. How bad. Hey guys, welcome to episode 320 of Motorsport 101. And, uh... <laughs> wow. Where, where do we even start on this one? This was going to be the Belgian Grand Prix review. And, um, well, we didn't really get a Grand Prix, did we? We did, but we... Didn't but we? Hey, oh, this... No, no, no. By the letter of the law, it's in, directly in the regulations. We got a Belgian Grand Prix. <laughs> you know, it's not a good sign when Kings immediately corpse in as soon as you say, "Yes, we officially did get a Grand Prix," and, and Kings the first one to go. That never happens on here. <laughs> like this is how you know it's bad. Oh dear. Yeah, we we got a Belgian Grand Prix. It was a two lap, three minute, twenty seven second Grand Prix. But yes, we did have a Belgian Grand Prix. I'll have you know that's a damn good lap time for a Le Mans hypercar around Circuit de la Sarthe. That would be not, not so good around Spa Frankershaw, unfortunately. No, no, we'll 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 figure that one out. That one could be uh, all sorts of interesting. But uh, yes, we will talk at length about how the Belgian Grand Prix became the Belgian Grand Prix, uh, for lack of a better term. We will also be talking about MotoGP's British Grand Prix as well at Silverstone. Um, that's Fabio Cotteraro took his fifth win of the season, and some history was made. More on that uh, in a little bit as well, but let's get right into the group as usual. First up, race director Ryan Eric King. Hello, sir. How's it going down there? Hello. Uh, things are going well. Uh, <laughs> looking out the window, it's not drier than Belgium right now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pissing it down there you. as well. Oh, yeah. dear. Oh, man. Like, f- thankfully, it is clear in London, just dark. Just dark. It's, it's, it's like, our summer wasn't really a summer. It's it's just now flatline mediocre. Yeah, you, you hate to see it. Uh, RJ O'Connell, how's it going over there, sir? Um, it's going very bright and orange. Uh, but a sumo citrus is not an orange. They explicitly want you to know that they are not an orange. They are a transformative proprietary fruit. And have sent me uh, this hoodie and a swag pack along with it. It's it's a bit from another podcast I've listened to. It's great. Uh, Man, boy, some race we had, huh? (laughs) (laughs) A classic. Um, Full of tremendous content that wouldn't look out of place on a fan cam on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) More on that in a bit. And, of course, at the bottom, we have Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hi, everyone. Uh, You know, in this past week, I have... Continue to achieve my mission of becoming uh, the only Cam in New England. We are one step closer. <laughs> they did release Cam Newton, and it totally wasn't anything to do with his vaccination status. No. Well, you know, he's taught us an important lesson that uh, you know to to fuck around is human, but to find out is remains divine. Uh, as a <laughs> Buffalo Bills fan, I refuse to weigh in on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine why. Um, <laughs> Cole Beasley, you stupid boy. 
Get your vaccine. Your bars are shit, by the way. <laughs> that, that Speaking is, of is, shit, Dre, what are we talking about today? Oh, well, like I said, Belgian Grand Prix, MotoGP in Britain, and uh, you know it's not a good sign when the tagline for the script says, and I quote, Cancelled three soggy French fries in mayonnaise from the creators of Cancelled, one for you bike life fans out there, and Cancelled 2, Cash is King. Um, I never thought we'd have the trilogy for this set of movies completed, but here we are. <laughs> so when are we getting the prequel trilogy? Whenever we decide to go back and review Adelaide in 1991. Like, oh. that, that, that'll be the prequel. <laughs> Uh, all of that, MotoGP, and maybe some more, who knows, depends how we go over the next hour or so. But in the meantime, here's the places you can find us real quick. We are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 if you're watching us on there. Hi! Um, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, hit the bell for notifications on new content. And uh, yeah, subscribe and all that good stuff. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 if they follow our personal handles. Pardon me. You can on the screen at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and Cameron Buckley, C. Buckley 917, I should say. Sorry. Um, we're on Instagram at Motorsport101Pod. You can follow us on there. Um, and we have our website, Motorsport101.com. I did write a few words about that Belgian Grand Prix. If you want to catch some more coverage on that, check out the blog section for more on there. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 fathers gets you early access to all of our audio episodes you can upgrade to 10 for the video version and get access to the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out we've put this off no longer <laughs> let's talk the belgian grand prix sort of let's talk about a history making belgian grand prix Best weekend of the year by far. So many moments that we'll remember for decades to follow. We'll tell our children, our grandchildren, if we decide to have children and grandchildren, you know, we'll tell them about these moments. Let's start. First, the Red Bull mechanic that sprinted into the team's truck for parts because uh, Sergio Perez tore up his car in the recon lab. Uh, he ate shit as he stumbled around the walkway. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that was yeah. great. Part of, um, was, part of me was thinking, hey, if we were in the States right now, we'd be calling oh shit. <laughs> very good, kid. Very good. Very good. <laughs> you, you know it's bad when we're having a transition from uh, figurative shit to literal ones. Uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, lost points in his championship lead, but moreover, he... He walked into a restroom after somebody had committed a brown crime. Uh, he had, it's a quote. Uh, somebody had dropped a crazy bomb in there when he went in. Said he's going to scar him for life. He's, he's, he said he said it was going to haunt him for life. I'm glad I went to the toilet, he said. The one I went to, somebody dropped a crazy bomb in there. The worst things ever. It's going to haunt me for life. Um, I need to pose this question, y'all. Who do you think did it? Who do you think committed this? Apparently, it was a friend. It was it was a French cameraman for the for the world feed. <laughs> well, well, damn! This is this is a great way to tell everybody that Canal Plus just re up their contract to be the official over the over the top broadcaster for Formula One. 
Oh no. no! I'm just imagining. I'm just imagining the cameraman went in there thinking, "Man, I'm not going to cover this next year. I'm going to go out in the bag and then re- walk out and realize, oh damn, they resigned the contract." <laughs> it's like it's like literally shit. I just dropped a massive noose in the back. <laughs> Oh, Dave, no, Dave England, uh, Dave England, uh, growing a tail in a hardware store display toilet would have been proud. Um, let's talk about the great soccer fixture between Aston Martin United and Haas City, uh, that they play in the garage. Uh, Vettel and Schumacher, you know, their mechanics, they, they look great out there. Um, we just had a transfer window and I figured like anybody could have picked up a good, uh, German, uh, striker for their team. I think Chelsea's got that covered with Kai Averts, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. there were some good skills on display. And, uh, yeah, some big, big throwback to Michael Schumacher Race of Champions vibes. It was very wholesome. Very good. Also on the subject of throwbacks, Mick Schumacher's throwback helm for his dad. 30th anniversary of his debut. So beautiful. beautiful. Um, McLaren gave us the opposite ends of how to handle... Uh, rain delay fill. Lando Norris just slept it away. Uh, Daniel Ricardo uh, submitted one of his uh, crew members via rear naked choke. I believe this sets him up for a number one contenders match uh, in the featherweight <laughs> title. I, I believe he's a featherweight. I know these drivers are fucking small dudes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, what, that's a fun one. What else do we have? Uh, Esteban Ocon lost his umbrella on the parade lap. Uh, George Russell uh, smiling, mugging to the camera, knowing this is the easiest nine points. This is the easiest podium he has scored to his career thus far, and the easiest podium he is ever going to get for the rest of his professional racing career. Job well done. You secure that bag, buddy. Uh, that balances out, I guess, the bad karma of Nikita Mazepin getting a fastest lap, not officially, of course, behind a safety car. Oh, I could smell the redemption arc. Was that a three-minute 18 lap? Three yeah, minutes, 27 seconds, 27. the official time. 6.8 kilometers of grueling racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, they did two laps behind the safety car. So wait, what they did a couple of uh, formation laps. They pulled everybody in the pits. We waited. We waited. We had to stop the clock. We had to stop the clock so we could attempt yep, to get FIA something in the hour. Force majeure to force stop majeure. the clock to try. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I hardly knew her. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. If we were doing this in groups, then this is where I would uh, get a super kick to the jaw and then bump like Kurt Hannig in his prime. Yeah. Um, uh, Sergio Perez was the only person who lost position. The race was officially declared after one lap. Everybody got half points. So seriously, folks, um, what changes do we need to make to prevent this very hilarious yet understandably farcical attempt of a motor race that we hope to never repeat again, or at least for another 16 years again? I I still find it hilarious that 19 cars started this race and yet 20 finished. Uh, it, it was it, it was it was that sort of Grand Prix. Um, we Control joke, the weather, maybe. I mean, 
it, as to borrow a quote from Sebastian Vettel over the course of the weekend, it's easy to play Captain Hindsight. So I shall. Um, this was a dead possum of a race, and then this and this entire thing was Michael Massey trying to input CPR. Um, looking back on it now, and it's easy to look back on it now. This was impossible. This race was never going to happen with the weather that we got. It was just. It's one of those things. It was too hard. It was the weather, like the rainfall never stopped. It was heavy. It was foggy. It was windy. With the spray, these cars were kicking up with the power they generate. You could probably see maybe only 10 feet in front of you. Yeah, that's, um, that's something that's a little bit ironic that I don't think was touched on. These tires are too good at moving water. There was so much water on the track. And these tires were picking up so much of it that the past the first two cars, no one could see. Well, Max Verstappen could see fine because he got a great pole position. <laughs> but like we we were watching the formation laps, and at one point, coming down the Camel Street into Lacombe, uh, you see Verstappen go around the corner. You see Lewis, and you're like, That's it. "Where's George Russell?" And George Russell appears out of nowhere from the spray. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he come out and hit him with an RKO? Um, <laughs> might as well have with that qualifying yeah. performance, Mike. I know, right? God, um, no. Like this, this, this was this was dead on arrival. This was this was never going to happen. This race, not in a month for Sundays, and you know it. It's the biggest issue that I have with it is not the race itself and the fact it was a, a two lap procession to call it a race so people could get points. I've not got a problem with that. It's it's, it's the I I I am gonna borrow another one from Zach Brown. It's the we probably shouldn't be comfortable calling that a race, um, because it wasn't. We didn't get a single lap of green flag running. We got to that. I, I think the better solution. Well, I think it would have looked nicer if we had just abandoned the whole thing from the start. But I can't blame the FIA and Michael Massey and the race direction team for at least trying. Um, and, you know, it's... I, I think maybe we should have a look at the rule book as to what constitutes a Grand Prix, because I think two laps is a little silly. Um, I think maybe we should draw... I, I don't know where the line should be, because it's like, how long is a piece of string? But... Too fucking long. <laughs> or in, in, this in, case, case, in this case, it's not long enough. <laughs> Get, out Get out of my head, head Dre. <laughs> yeah. Enough. Oh, um, yeah, it's uh, it was it was an unwinnable situation, and uh, we have seen this once before, albeit not in Formula One, when in 2013, holding an endurance race in Japan in uh, in. In in monsoon season, pretty much fell predictably, and we got 16 laps under safety car at the 2013 Fuji Six Hours. That was also declared a race at the time. In fact, it was Toyota's first win of the year because they stunk that year. And after that, <clears throat> it was actually instituted in the WEC that it would had to be two green flag laps. Ah to uh, constitute a race. But obviously, I mean, it's a problem. We had never seen this before in Formula One. This was 
literally unprecedented. Yeah. Last time we had a race that was cut this short was what? Malaysia 2009. And I believe they tried. Before then, it was like Adelaide 91. Uh, and we had a race before the rain came down. It's just when it did come down, all of it, all at once, came down. Yeah. It was about um, Similar situation in Adelaide 1991, which 30 years ago, where the rain became too heavy for them to continue the race safely. Um, echoing what Dre said, the FIA tried very hard in good faith with their fans and those who watching the race to try and put a race on. They claim force majeure to break their own rule book, mm. to supersede their own rule book regarding the timer. Once the timer starts and then you have a limited time window yeah. to get the race. They threw, they threw the Canada 2011 rule at the window for just enough time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To try and find a window to get the race in. They sent the cars out. For a couple of recon laps, got conflicting reports from those behind the wheel. Some people saying, let's race. Some people saying, no way. And it was impossible. And in doing so, in trying to put on a race, they ticked over that lap counter uh, with one lap out on track and then crossing the control line in the pit lane. Yeah. And it broke the rule. It it. it broke the limit of what constitutes a race, and we got points out of it. Half points, obviously, because they didn't reach minimum distance. Mm. This is a no-win situation. And and it's not that drivers are made of glass and crystal and don't want to take risk. It's that we know better than to run in dangerously unsafe conditions now. Look, and, and the thing is, I think the cars would have coped fine um in racing conditions but if you can't see you can't see yeah and if you're driving a racing car around a famously very fast very risky track you need to be able to see that's where it begins and ends yeah yeah there's so yeah, the way it was run in the end I, I wouldn't change very much as to what was done i just think the rule book needs to be looked at in terms of what constitutes a race Maybe even if it's like 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 camps and maybe two green flag laps, maybe twenty five percent distance, like we're playing F one twenty twenty one on a console or something along those lines. Yeah, I, I, I know. I do like the two green flag laps rule because no, I don't if if conditions are good enough for you to run two green flag laps, you're not going to run just two. Yeah, yeah that's and, a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and we, we've, we've got that situation in WEC since where I think it was USA 2014 was apocalyptic levels of rain. Not that we could yeah. see it because Fox Sports took it off the air in the middle of the race, <laughs> but, uh, they ended up having to stop that race for a time as well. Mm-hmm. Eventually resumed it later when conditions got better. And that was the thing here. Condition, by the time conditions lightened up where maybe we could get a race in, by the time they got the cars out, it was already... We were burning daylight. The rain was starting to pick back up. It was just an impossible situation. Yeah, yeah. it was just too short. Too too narrow a window. 
to constitute a race, the conditions were just awful. There's nothing we could have. There's nothing they could have done about. It. Looking back, there's nothing they could have done yeah. in that one, as far as I'm concerned. Again, I think I think the only major issue is the rulebook itself, rather than how race direction handled it. Just out of curiosity, because I'm I'm like you know just like like especially King in, the, in your direction, because I know you know a bit more about the rulebook than most. Has the FIA ever called force majeure like that before? Because I can't remember a time recently when they've done something like that. Um, uh, not that I can recall. Uh, race direction, yeah. no. Like, obviously we've gotten it with technical issues before, um, yeah. even recently. But in terms of the direction of a race, I can't recall a single instance, at least not in yeah. this style. I, I certainly can't. Yeah. I, I just wanted to see if someone knew a little, someone knew and I, I didn't, but I can't, I certainly can't remember one in the years I've been watching, so... Yeah, because this this will probably go down as the outlier of outliers. This is going to be the game show trivia answer to the shortest Formula One race of all time. Yeah, yeah it, it's a unicorn in the worst possible way. Yeah, yeah, the shortest and yet the longest Grand Prix of all time. Uh, and I thought Canada 2011 was bad. Um, and I'm not talking about the final lap either. Um, now, <laughs> speaking a bit more of race direction here. Yeah, oh boy. Boy, King was stressed out on Saturday after this, and we'll talk about it, because, like, um, people seem to think, have the opinion now that race director Michael Massey, who, of course, took over after Charlie Whiting died suddenly on the eve of the 2019 Australian Grand Prix, they've got it in their their heads now that Michael Massey is just the most Machiavellian uh, Fitz McMahon's hypes. If he dies, he dies, <laughs> son of a bitch on the planet. Yeah. But somehow he's also absurdly incompetent. <laughs> I, it, it, it's, it's a strange combination of takes, but uh, between the conditions preceding the, of this on race day, and uh, we have to throw in as well the quite scary incident in Q3 when Lando Norris crashed yeah. at the top of Eau Rouge and um, of course the race day itself. Is it time for a referendum on race director Michael Massey? Not after I'm this short weekend. Answer, no. And, and well, like... I, I, have, I, I have a thought on this and it's, it's not so much how he's actually been um, officiating the races. I don't think you can really judge him after this weekend. He was left in an impossible situation right. and tried the best that he could to put on a race for those there, for those watching. But the way he conducts himself and the need to constantly defend everything he does, good and bad, whether he gets it right or he gets it wrong, doesn't paint... It, it, it presents him almost from a position of weakness. Yeah. But but that's it, the thing, he's a, trying to be transparent about what he does. He's trying to he's trying to be transparent about it, but it the way it comes off, it makes him look it makes him look desperate for approval. And it's can not I, a good it's just not a good look. Can I interject here? Mm-hmm. Michael Massey is 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 is, is to, to borrow a line from earlier, he's the Kobayashi Maru. He can't win with, with, with the way the no. audience is on social media now. He cannot win because he's not Charlie Whiting. And we suddenly grew an affection for Charlie Whiting after he passed away. Um, we didn't oh, yeah. talk about Charlie in these glowing affectionate terms until after he went. And then Michael Massey's mm. coming. And don't get me wrong. 
Massey's been far from perfect since taking over. There's been oh, yeah. a couple of questionable incidents in the past, like Turkey yeah. last year, or I was very concerned about about running a live session with a, with a machine still on track, for instance. I think, for the most part, he got Sunday right. I think Saturday he got wrong. I think, and he even admitted that he got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, and he, and I'm glad he came out and, and admitted that he got it wrong. Um, that was the I think the best way he could have gone about it because the rainfall in between Q2 and Q3 did get heavier. I think he should have suspended the session and at least sent the safety car around like like we saw on Sunday to get an idea of what the track conditions were before proceeding with Q3 because Q3 the conditions were significantly worse. We saw Sebastian, we heard Sebastian Vettel on the radio say, this is undrivable, we need a red flag. And I'm not saying that we should take the driver's opinions as 100% kosher, um, but if someone that's it, it played out. Of, yeah. It, 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 the way it played out, everyone could kind of see, could kind of see who was in the right because, uh, there was not a whole lot left of that McLaren because when you go off at Radion and we had quite mm. a few incidents there oh. and a whole yes, lot of we'll discourse that. about that complex. Yeah. Um, when you go off there, it's never small. No. When you go and off there like, at the top and it's in the pissing rain. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to write a Hollywood script to make Michael Massey look as bad as he possibly could in the heat of the moment in Q3, it probably would have been something like Sebastian Vettel calling for a red flag and 10 seconds later, Lando Norris pinning it in arguably the most dangerous corner on the F1 calendar. <laughs> it's like, if if you wanted to write a Hollywood script to fuck Michael Massey over, that's what the script would look like. I can't and believe it, people are making us feel sympathy for the Formula 1 equivalent of the head of mall security. <laughs> <laughs> But but that's the point that it got to uh, o over some course of the weekend. But, you know, Sunday, he did his job well. And, you know, um, me and Kate talked about it offline. Like, a lot of the problems with race direction nowadays, um, you're not going to fix that just by replacing one dude with some other schmuck who's eventually going to take the blame. Even if you do proclaim that you are a self-appointed safety expert on social media, that's a very stressful job. It's a bit like being a Premier League referee. In the sense of, you don't get praised for doing a good job as a football referee sometimes. It's that you only get dunked on when shit goes wrong. Um, and that's, that's how it feels like when it comes to... Because honestly... The amount of people calling for Massey's head on Twitter over Saturday and Sunday was apocalyptic on social media. It was like a nuclear bomb had landed somewhere around Spa-Francorchamps. It was brutal, and I had to... I mean, I look, to even the most perfect race director in the world doesn't know how to control the weather. No. And that's the point. And look, I said, like I said, I'm glad he admitted he got Saturday wrong, because I think he did get that wrong. But I think on Sunday he got a lot of he got a lot of what that was right and like honestly and I think the important think thing is right okay everyone's still here yes. everyone got to walk away yes. and another time at this same track we might not have been able to say that indeed let's well, talk I was gonna about say, that I was gonna say one one, one thing was just, like King I want to make a point because we had a chat about this a couple of days ago. Could you imagine what happened if, if they got rid of Michael Massey and they just took the guys from Formula 2 instead? 
to oh run the God. race. Yeah, because so, everybody loves Formula Two race direction. They're yeah, always so, so popular. <laughs> so currently, for Formula Two and Formula Three, the race director is Sylvia Bellow, uh, and uh, we saw what happened in Formula Three this weekend. <laughs> and, which, um, to to throw someone in to F one, especially like the cars that race in F one are incredibly unique. They're so. They're the fastest. They're the fastest vehicles on earth in their own championship. Uh, yeah. They're expect- so comprehensively faster than anything else. These F one cars right now. These the last year of these big stupid cars. They are so much faster than every other racing car on earth, and it's not even close. One other type of car in the last decade got close. That class is dead. It's in the dirt. It's six feet under. Like, to expect someone to come in and manage a race with these vehicles on little to no experience is even crazier than just saying, oh, we're just like, hey, uh, we're going to give someone just like a year to train to learn, like what these cars are like and how to like manage them on a racetrack, then you could become race director, uh, which what happened with Michael Massey, uh, to give someone even less experience going in would be crazy. No, I could fly this Airbus with only like five <laughs> hours in the simulator. What are you talking about? Uh, only thing that can make you sound like taking that job sounds like the zombie apocalypse, but, um, you know, speaking of O-Rouge, yeah, well, you know, basically to end, uh, mm-hmm. pretty much, like, this is Michael Massey's third season as a race director, and he got thrust into the position due to tragic, unforeseen circumstances, where it seemed like he was going to have far more time to prepare than actually happened, where he was going to be F1 race director at some point, and he was going to be an apprentice for multiple years, and ended up being just one year, and... Yeah. For the most part, yes, Massey hasn't been perfect. But for someone put in that circumstance, he's not doing a terrible job. I, I agree. It's a tough and thankless job. Yeah. Like I said, there's not a lot of ways it can go right, and there's a thousand ways it can go wrong with that sort of job. Uh, it's like being a bomb disposal expert. It's just, you know, it's it's there's not a lot of good, but there's an awful lot of bad that can come with that. But, um, and that's why you yeah, get Jack yeah. Bauer to do everything. He can be your bomb disposal expert. <laughs> why not? God. <laughs> God. Um, speaking of the Lando Norris incident from earlier, Oh Rouge. Oh Rouge Radion. We have, ever since Antoine Hubert passed away, which sucked. And I'm glad that Juan Manuel Correa got to come back to spot, which is good. But we've been getting like a abnormal amount of bad or bad-looking wrecks. We had one in the Spa 24 Hours. We had one in qualifying for the W Series. Uh, We had Lando Norris's wreck, um, which has now pushed drivers uh, on social media to, you know, raise their concerns about, you know, hey, things need to change here. Now, Spa Franker Shop Circuit, the Sequoia they did put out sometime in 2020 that they have a whole 10-year plan to revitalize the track and one of the key points was they're they're adding more runoff they're adding gravel pits to the complex that is Eau Rouge Radion uh so the question is for y'all 
are these changes going to be enough to ease the nerves and, you know, make this seem a little less risky than it actually, than, than it is? Uh, my, my, my instincts are telling me pretty much once all the, all the changes are put into place, all the drivers will be fine and a hundred percent on board with it. Everyone else don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, with the incidents we got, and I'm not going to sugarcoat them. We had a couple really nasty crashes. Um, yeah. Right it is that. an extraordinary corner. It is a legendary piece of tarmac for mm. all of the reasons that people love about racing and all of the ones we don't. Oh, yeah. And when It's going to have to yeah. Yeah. because it's a piece of the track that has been, it has been modified over the years to try and tighten it, try to make it safer. The barrier changes are primarily meant to, A, make it raceable for bikes. Because uh, the World Endurance Championship for bikes wants to come here for a 24-hour race. That's make true. of that what you will. <laughs> but would they're also meant to prevent cars being launched back out onto the racing surface. And that's the big that problem. Is because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that this back barrier just spits cars back out on the surface. And we're thinking, like, if we could just redirect the angle where these barriers were run, that would do a whole lot to solving a lot of problems. Now, then, of course, you could get a whole bag of, like, are these tarmac runoffs actually doing more harm than good because you seed it with Kayo Kale, a cat Alpine Academy prospect, Kayo Kale. That is a hell of an overtake attempt, but Jesus Christ, you could have really ate shit there, my dude. Look, um... We can't really get rid of that corner because no. of the nature of the track. Um, if you make that one large hump straight, first of all, the speed at the end of the camel will be re-goddamn ridiculous. Too twice. And ask anyone who is driving a um, BR1 LMP1 car in 2018 how it goes when you go over a crest and you don't quite have your angle right. That literally took years out of Pietro Fittipaldi's career. <laughs> yes. You did. Um, it's going to have to. And hopefully, hopefully the barrier changes are the end of these kinds of incidents at this corner because we don't want to lose this track from the sport, from the People racing world. People already bitch enough that classic circuits are already too sterilized. You know what I mean? And this isn't changing the track because I think it's important to not change the track. This yeah. is changing the safety around it because in saying fast corner bad, this needs to change is not the right approach. No. Spa Frankishaw yeah. is taking the right approach. And might I add, they have had a hell of a year between the crash at the Spa 24 and these crashes here. The flooding that has wiped out plenty of area around the track, destroyed paths into the track, and the CEO of the track being killed in a murder-suicide. Awful. Horrendous. Horrendous. They've had a horrible, horrible year, and uh, this is going to be a big bill to sort these circuit changes out, and there may be a refund plan coming. As of the time of recording on September 1st, 
F1 is in talks with the track promoter to see what they can do. They're running their options. If there's an update, we'll let you know. Don't worry. But, the tire supplier doesn't have to foot the bill this time because Bernie has his panties in a twist. No. Oh, good. <laughs> just what, just what we need to hear from uh, more of more of Formula One's old Darth Sidious. And I'm not even yeah. one of these. I'm not even one of these big like. I'm not a fucking Karoon Shandog that believes we need to just put gravel traps everywhere we can because we must because it's imperative. But I think there, if you just want to put out a little of it just to discourage everybody from like cutting over the top and carrying way too much speed over the damn corner, that's fine. Yeah, if it needs to come, that's it's you fine. can't you can't just you can't make safety changes based on this is bad. We need to fix it. This is, here's what we're doing well. Here's what we need to do better. Here's how we do it. You need to take and, a considered um, approach. From from the descriptions of the upgrades to the circuit, uh, at the top of Radion, the, the way they describe the change is that uh, they're going to obviously pull the barrier back by a large amount, and in that space is going to be a gravel trap. So it's not like they're going to put like gravel on the apex at the top. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's gravel as a, as a last resort at the barrier. Yeah, and because I was going to say, if you're going to make this a more bike-friendly circuit, be careful on the amount of gravel you put down because they flip people over, and that that greatly increases the risk of injury. Um, So I would say, like, tarmac runoffs generally are the way to go with bike racing in the sense of letting people slide generally is safer. Um, Thankfully, that corner pump as well is uphill, so that would also help slow people down. So I'm not necessarily going to say, oh, just dump gravel everywhere because that's the go-to Formula One pundit solution, as Karun mentioned. Yeah, um, doesn't work. With, yeah. It doesn't work at any track where you've got cars and bikes racing. It's yeah, just too say, unsafe for the riders. Part, part of the problem is, is that for every Formula One, like for every 30 MotoGP fans, there's one Formula One fan. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's Formula One fans, most of them do not give a shit about bike racing, so they're not going to think about it from that aspect. But when you look at the nuance behind what they're doing, Spa wants bike racing. They had Cal Crutchlow down there a couple of years ago testing it out, and they asked him, like, do you think a race is doable here? And he said, hell no! Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, like, no, I should skin. know that, like, on a bike, Eau Rouge Radion is so much slower. You actually oh, exactly. have to brake. Yeah, because exactly. I mean, even in these cars, I mean, they're carrying so much, like, and all of these tie-in like, downforce cars now, like, LMP1s were taking it flat Half a yeah. half a decade ago, GT3's these F1 cars are right carrying on the borderline. Yeah, yeah, it's they, a, it's they a are carrying enormous speed. Complex. Yeah, it's a it's a 190 mile an hour complex on entry. It's ridiculous. Um, no, and yeah, it's it's a, it's going to be hard to have these conversations because people feel very strongly about these old school circuits, about mm-hmm. an old school corner. We saw many clashes between the old guard and the new, more caring and empathetic fan that's come in in the last half decade. Um, spoiler alert, don't be a Top Gear presenter coming out with dumb shit. Regarding don't don't be... Like, I love that a fucking GT World Challenge amateur driver is out here talking about drivers being sheltered. You're a bronze driver! It's literally your job to be sheltered from driving <laughs> in adverse conditions. I've watched him on 24 enough races. I, I, had, I had to mention this because I, I had to restrain myself from going apocalyptic on on that certain Top Gear presenter 
from his dumbass Josh Brooks-style take from Austria three years ago. In fact, it was copied almost word for word when he said, get someone in who, so get the people in who want to have a go. And I'm just like, no! Um, but the point is, is that I know people are very emotional about about oh, the yeah. old guard, the old way of thinking, but... The, I think the, that's the, an the, important the, thing to look at here. The track yeah. itself is not changing. And if no. you believe that the Eau Rouge and Radion complex is better when it is an active danger to those who might go off there and be put into harm's way, please find another sport to watch. Yeah, like we we had two, we had two horrendous accidents this weekend. Um, two women in the hospital from the W series as well, Sarah Moore and Betchka Visa, who and, and it's, warning, uh, this it's, might it's be a bit upsetting. And, uh, it's Visser and yeah. Ilagrin, I should say. Mike, thank you, thank you, RJ. I was going to say, like, the image of the incident that sticks with me is the fact that Visser's car was upside down and pushed back onto the racing line as a result of hitting that outside barrier. It's not that one car goes off there. It's that if a car goes off there and gets spat back out, it turns into a pack racing crash like you see yeah. in NASCAR. Yeah. And, and that's just that. not acceptable in this type of racing. It's not no, su- no. it's not something and that can be sustained for any longer. It's it's objectively better. No one is no one is getting rid of your precious legendary corner. It will still be there next year when yeah. hopefully we get a, an actual race at Spa next year. And hey, we might get some bike races down there too. And that would be cool. More motorsport fans can appreciate the quality of, of Spa Francorchamps. It's a good move. I, I wish them all the very best because they've had a horrific year, um, the promoters down there at Spa. And um, I look forward to seeing how these changes get implemented and seeing how it all turns out because I think it's objectively better. Um, and, I, and uh, yeah, I again, I, I, I sincerely hope that it goes forward and I hope the fans do get a refund of some yeah. kind as well as a side yeah, note. As well but, but also, but also fans, uh, please pick up your fucking trash. That too. <laughs> Sebastian Sebastian Vettel's not here to go into the stands and pick up trash Sebastian Vettel's not your mom (laughs) and also if if people weren't if people weren't so emotional over the situation I would recommend hey guys time to make a parody podcast well there's your caution oh Rouge Ratty no 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 no. we should make it because people are emotional we'll get tons of clicks Dre, talk to us Game about bikes. Off a script. <laughs> Ooh, talk to bike us about tower. bikes, Dre, because um, some of these people didn't heed your advice. There was an entire free-to-air race on British television, and less than half a million people million people watched it. Yes, uh, as I think alluded to, ITV1, had the big boy channel, had a MotoGP race on free-to-air. It was a throwback. We had... James Toesland on it. We had Matt Roberts hosting. It was like the old BBC days of the of the mid two thousands. It was beautiful. Um, thanks to everyone that went out of their way to see it. By the way, much appreciated. I hope ITV comes back because it's objectively good for the sport that we get more races on free to wear because there's only about two hundred thousand to watch on BT Sport every week and are paying twenty five pound a month for the privilege. Anyway, the British Grand Prix itself. Well. <laughs> Surprise, surprise, folks. You missed him. You love him. Fabio Quattararo took control of the race and didn't look back about halfway through. Um, it's another comfortable win from the front from the Frenchman. 
his fifth win of the season, but it wasn't without some cool historic moments along the way. First up, did you ever think you'd see the day that after his first career pole position in the top flight, Paul the Spagaro would lead a race with his brother directly <laughs> behind him? <laughs> what a moment for the Spagaro brothers. Um, I, I love that Gavin Emmett on the commentary literally said their dad will be at home literally crapping themselves as they speak. Um, uh, okay, <laughs> so, fr- friend, of the, friend of the show, Kevin, on Twitter had steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> he loves those Spargo brothers. Um, uh, yeah, so what, that was a very cool moment. We had both the Spargo brothers leading a, a MotoGP race for the first time ever. That was cool as hell. Um, we had another Binder charge at the end as well. That was always fun. He ended up finishing sixth over the line in the end. But for the first time, I had to look this up since 1972 in Grand Prix motorcycle racing, we had six different manufacturers representing the top six finishers in the race. Fabio Quadraro for Yamaha, Alex Rins for Suzuki, Alicia Spargaro on the podium for Aprilia. The first time in 21 years, the first time in the MotoGP era, that an Aprilia has hit the podium. They celebrated that like they just won the championship. It was awesome. Congrats to the Aprilia boys on that one. We had Paul Spagara up there for Honda. We had Jack Miller in there for Ducati um, as well. And we had Brad Binder on the KTM. So all six manufacturers in the top six for the first time in over 40 years. Nearly 50 years. My word. Um, incredible moment there. Um, and they said the last time an Aprilia was on the podium, Jeremy McWilliams in 2000. Oh on a two-stroke. Um, on a two-stroke. Back when they called it the 500cc class. The, yeah, we didn't have any that brand equity. It was no, just the that. displacement championship. Indeed. Fun times. Uh, the, the other big marquee moment of the match, what, uh, well, match to race, I should say, really, was uh, Mark Marquez and Jorge Martin getting into it on the opening lap. Um, Martin shoves Marquez off the racing line. Um, at the end of the hangar straight, and then Marquez tried to immediately take revenge on the new chicane complex onto what we now call the Formula One home straight. Marquez tucks the front and collects Martin with him. Um, nasty incident. They're both out. Um, as as Cam alluded to, Fred of the show, Kev, steam coming out of his ears again. Um, and yeah, Mark immediately going down to the uh, Framat garage and apologizing. Uh, a bit of the old Marquez red mist came back for the weekend. That was uh, that was fun. Um, but, uh, also, if you want a little fun this line, um, I, Jorge Martin after the race said, uh, I hope Mark could take a lesson away from this race as he goes on to the next one, which I thought was... Absolutely hilarious. What's great is MotoGP. Uh, MotoGP put out a piece the previous day on social media about what great friends they are. Gone. <laughs> Gone in a single lap. Beautiful. Question I've got to ask. With Fabio Cotoaro now carrying a 65-point lead in the championship, are we done here? Yes. Yes and yes in red. <laughs> like it was already he's not gonna drop 65 points and no no one has really emerged as a definitive second challenger either what I like to talk about with MotoGP is every factory has some horrible inherent flaw in their motorcycle yeah 
And the only consistent factor so far this year is Fabio just consistently being, if not winning, on the podium or near it. This championship's in the refrigerator. The doors close, the lights are out, the eggs are cool, and the butter's getting hard, and the jello is a jiggling, folks. <laughs> We're done here. I, it, it didn't help that every, almost every major contender that's still, that was still vaguely in this title race had tire wear problems. We had a huge tire drop off at the end of this race where Mir sunk to ninth, Banyaya sunk to 14th, Rossi was out of the points altogether in his final race on British soil, which huge sea of yellow for the 80,000 grandstand seats. Every race is a Valentino Rossi home race between now and Valencia. Um, but, uh, yeah, my God. Um, all the other major contenders. I've got, to, I've got Zarco. He fell to 12. A lot of people went with the soft tire, and they just all melted. Bad move. It's the tire completely evaporated by the end of the race. And Quattararo just managed the situation, guided it over the line. Um, it's. I, I said this with Chad Chat McCamber this the other day. I think all three championships might already be over. Mm-hmm. Because on a side note, Remy Garner won the Moto2 race with Raul Fernandez crashing. He now has a 41-point lead, I think, in the Moto2 championship now. And Pedro Acosta and Sergio Garcia had a huge fight in the middle of a Moto3 field. Romano Fanati won that one. Remember him. Um, and Who can forget? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh... You think- that championship lead is still 43 points as well. So it, it might be a bit of a dead rubber Moto GP There's no pressure on anyone. Not yeah. really. There's no there's no pressure to go out and if you're chasing, if you're trying to chase Fabio, you need to be winning races and you no one no one consistently is. Fabio no. can afford to unwind his hand a little bit because he's not taking his foot off the gas on a motorcycle. Um and just bring home the points. If he needs to, if there's an opportunity for a win, go for it. If you don't need to, consolidate your lead. Yep. All he has to do is just score points every remaining round, and he he should win this. It is actually out of Mir's hands already in second place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mir can win every single round, all seven of them between now and the end of the season, and it would not matter as Fabio if Fabio could fo- Fabio could follow him home in third for the majority of those races, and it would not matter. He's got that big an advantage. Like the upgrade to stabilize the the ride height of the Suzuki came along far too late this year. Yeah, Suzuki um, Suzuki did what what I would call the Toyota 2015 in WEC. Thought we got a we had a great car last year. We won the championship at a canter. Don't change anything. And they fine. have been swe- they've been washed aside. Um, them, they and Ducati really have been very stagnant this year. The things that the bikes are good at, they're still good at. The things that the bikes are bad at, well. Jack, Jack yeah. Miller's their best rider and he's too erratic. And no one else on the Ducati bike can win besides well, you, Jorge Martin, who missed too many rounds at the start of the year through injury. If you can't turn the Ducati, you can't turn the Ducati. If you can turn the Ducati, you melt your tires. Good luck. Um... Speaking of which, you know what's funny? I just checked I just checked leaderboard real quick on my phone. Marquez and Martin, by the way, about that incident, have the exact same number of championship points. Funny, <laughs> huh? <laughs> it was always meant to be. 64 is an unlucky number. Should Marquez be punished for that dive bomb? Mm. Uh, 
it was, it was really not a reckless. Good look. It was really reckless, but I don't know about a penalty. I can kind of self penalize with him out of the race. Yeah, but it was Martin. Mar- Martin shoved him off the racing line. I think he was justified in doing so, Mark. Yeah. You know, it was nothing too aggressive from Martin there, and Mark just the, the red mist descended. You know, the mm-hmm. speed is coming back. It Mark is. is inching closer and closer to what he once was. Only two times off Paul this time around. Yeah, on, on a bike that was, I mean, how Paul Espargaro got that pole blows my mind. Paul but Espargaro. Paul Espargaro, once again. But Mar- the red mist just came down. We know what Mark is like when that happens. Mm-hmm. He just made a reckless, aggressive move and wiped himself out, wiped out Martin. Long lap penalty next round will be fine with me. Just leave it at that. If, if yeah. At most. Like, honestly, I've said it many a time, MotoGP's era of basically letting most aggressive moves be settled on track is what's got them into this pickle in the first place. Because now what constitutes an overly aggressive riding is a very, very blurry line indeed. Yeah, um, like my, for, for, those, for those who haven't seen it, Martin's move was probably right on the line of what is acceptable. And Marks yeah. was right over the line of what is acceptable. Yeah. So exactly. I can't disagree with that. Long lap penalty and move on from it is probably probably mm. where I would stand on it. Yeah. Um, oh, but we get to talk about the Yamaha reshuffle as well, because we've finally got some good confirmation about that situation as well. Because, uh, well done to Susie Perry for getting the exclusive scoop. Uh, with Lynn Jarvis on this one. Um, I will give credit where credit is due. Um, Lynn sung like a canary on the situation at Yamaha. Um, long story short, Frankie Morbidelli will be joining the factory Yamaha team when he returns from injury. That will probably be in Masano in two rounds' time. Um, his, his recovery from his knee injury is going well. Apparently, he'll be back on a bike next week. So, speedy recovery as always to Frankie. But he'll be joining the factory team. He'll be replacing Maverick's bike. Meanwhile, at the SRT team, it's not Patronus anymore. Um, yeah, and in fact, uh, that we've learned recently the, the the very future of that team. That team is not going to exist. Um, they're being replaced with a new entity next year. Mm-hmm. Indeed, it looks like the current owners, the current management team is probably going to buy them out. But uh, spearheading their team, not just for next season, but right now, will be coming in. Um, for, probably for Misano, apparently. Um, maybe even sooner. He's back! Andrea Davizioso's back! <laughs> on the two-year-old Yamaha, so he ain't doing jack oh. shit on that thing. <laughs> but, you know what? All reliable. <laughs> Glad to have him back, because he deserves a place in the sport. He's still a phenomenal rider. And, uh... I don't know what the future looks like for SRT, but... If they can scrounge together some kind of decent equipment from Yamaha next year, should be in good shape. Oh, yeah. Indeed. Um, I hope Second they bike, not so sure yet. They are. There's talk that if that it's looking like it's going to be between Jake Dixon and Darren Binder for the second 
uh, SRT future bike of next year. Dixon was fine on debut this weekend. Nothing special. Um, but again, he, he brought the bike home in one piece, and that's always good, um, quite frankly. Um, and yeah, it's looking like between him and Moto Freerider Darren Binder to j- maybe jump up two classes. He will get a go later on, at the, later on this season. Oh, and side note. Maverick Vinales makes his Aprilia debut next week. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Salvadori. You're gone. Back to the test rider role for you. Uh, so, uh, what are you most excited for in this reshuffle, folks? Frankie on a factory bike. I think that, that is obviously not this year, given what's happened to him, but I think that gives us a new contender for the championship next year. Health willing. Mm, yeah. Mm. Oh boy! Tommy's back. Yeah. I hope we get to see like his classic number four play back now that he's no longer Ducati. Like I hope, I hope we see reemployed on his ass (laughs) on the bike. (laughs) No, I like Dovi. I've always liked Dovi. He's a fantastic rider. Like I hope Yamaha gives them some sort of feasible B spec package, like we got with Tech Three. Because that's where Dovi, yeah, that's where Dovi really comes It's really going to depend on the financial situation. I really Mm. hope that they can get, maybe he can keep Rossi's factory bike for next year. But it's a big if, if if SRT is even going to be on the grid next year. If, if, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, look, Yamaha only could only afford to give one factory bike to that team. That is, that is, that is (laughs) bull jive. So no, I don't they hedged know their bets. Yeah, they I hedged their bets with the 2019 bike. Um, yeah, but yeah, I hope I really hope that Franco can come back and be his old self because it was a nasty knee injury. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a win or two if he comes back in his his usual self. I'd love to. I'd love to see it. I hope it happens. I hope so. I hope so too. I'm 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 excited for both, but yeah, I I can't wait to see Frankie on the factory bike. He's a real great guy, a fantastically talented rider, and um, yeah, I think this is the opportunity he's waited far too long for. I mean, these, these star graduates of the VR46 Academy, um, basically taking the old man's seat, which I think is just awesome in a sense. It, it goes to show you that your time's done, old man. We ride <laughs> faster than you, and the kids like us more. Yeah, I say it is funny how Yamaha went from arguably the worst rider situation in all of motorcycle racing. Days later, oh well, we've got a star prospect on our other bike, and we got Andrea Davizioso in as a sub. It's like, yeah, you've got the probable future world champion. Andrea Davizioso is one of the best non-champions ever, <laughs> and Frankie Morbidelli, one of the top prospects on the board. Yamaha managed to dig themselves out of a big old hole, um, <laughs> despite losing Maverick uh, Vinales. And, and Aprilia, Aprilia, all I'm going to say is, good luck. <laughs> you may need it. Um, How are we looking for time? Just we under are, an hour, just over about an hour. We're good. Is it, it, are we good, we're good to talk about the other thing? Yeah. Bonus time. Bonus segment. Hey, I love a Folks, good bonus segment. We've hit I'll, overtime. Uh, Holy shit. Kimi Raikkonen today just announced he's going to retire from Formula One at the end of this season. 
You're no all way. shot. <laughs> I know. Um, we saw this coming. Uh, we've also had hot rumors. Hot rumors. Uh, this is the latest from uh, racefans.com, Dieter uh, Rankin. Uh, disclaimer, I am also a contributor to racefans.com, but uh, these I, 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 should, I should note out that it's racefans.net. Uh, racefans.net. <laughs> Let me retake. Your own employees. If you want, I can, I, I can take, uh, I can take over for the Kimmy bit. He, he, once upon a time, he was my boy. Yeah. yeah you, you, actually, I will pass this take two over to Cam. I'm going to distribute save, the ball. Save the outtake for the Instagram page. <laughs> Speaking of Instagram pages, 2007 Formula One World Champion Kimi Raikkonen announced his impending retirement from F1 at the end of this season. You're all shocked. This, of course, is preceded by spicy rumors, all but confirmed by Toto over the weekend, that Valtteri Bottas' post-Mercedes life... It is a post-Mercedes life, by the way. We'll be replacing Raikkonen in an Alfa Romeo, a Finn for a Finn, in a brand new combination that, according to race fans, is Dieter Raikkonen. I probably just butchered that. I'm so sorry. Dieter Raikkonen, <laughs> you're good. Hey, we'll see Bottas joining the reigning Formula E world champion, Nick DeVries, with Alexander Albon joining Nick Latifi, at an upwards-trending Williams team. Oh, and just in case we needed to remind anyone, Toto basically outed it without outing it by mentioning that seats were changing at all over the weekend. George Russell's in a Mercedes for next year. Damn. We all know it at this point. Yeah. And I don't think we really touched on it enough during the spa section. George Russell put a McFucking Williams Formula One car in second place in qualifying, which, of course, converted to second place and half points, but they take those down at Williams for their first podium since 2017. Can I, can I just say, I went out of my way during the hangout we had last week to try and defend... Every time. <laughs> every I, every single time. Dre ever goes to bat on the internet for Valtteri Bottas. Bottas lays an egg. I give and in up. the same qualifying <laughs> session, in the same qualifying session where Max Verstappen put foots in everybody, in the same qualifying session where George Russell outqualified his probable future world teammate to put a Williams second on the grid, Valtteri Bottas was three seconds off of Lewis Hamilton's time. Three seconds. You just can't win for losing. Not man. three tenths. Three seconds. Thanks, Valtteri. Thanks a fucking bunch. Congratulations, um, Valtteri. You get to be new Kimmy, but without the alcoholism entirely. Speaking days. of Kimmy, you know, it was about time, but it was. What a career it was. It was. You know, the first time I ever went out of my way to watch a Formula One race was the 2005 Japanese Grand Prix. And it is a race where I fell in love with what ended up being my favorite F1 car of all time. A gorgeous West McLaren with Viking horns. <laughs> it's where I watched Kimi Raikkonen dismantle the field. Oh, yeah. Where I watched him make Ron Dennis show emotions. 
<laughs> I'm gonna have to don't do that. <laughs> and two years later, feeling very conflicted because I still liked McLaren, but Kimmy was my favorite driver. I watched him bring home what is to date Ferrari's last world championship through one of the most bulletproof consistent seasons in modern F1 history. And then winning three out of the final four to take the title. Um, yeah, In the face was... of Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, I mean, to, just to add my two cents on this, like he's going to go down as F1's all-time appearance leader. That that will probably stand for a good long while. Um, in full flight, I have never quite seen a driver with that much raw, unmitigated speed than Kimi Räikkönen. No. Uh, when he was dialed in, he was in. He was he was box office. He was unbelievable to watch. He's one of the great entertainers of my childhood watching Formula One was watching I watched him and McLaren at full flight. After the art. fact, I went back and watched, and at the end of the 2004 Belgian Grand Prix, he was in the lead with a couple laps to go and coming off of a safety car against Michael Schumacher in the Ferrari F2004, a car that needs no introduction. Decent car. <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen drove away. My, the the last few years have done they haven't done his career any favors because I think he's been past his true best for a while. But when he was at his best, he was just unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And were it not for a pair of pretty god awful unreliable McLarens, we're not talking about a one time world champion. Fair to say. Um, no, he's, he's, a, he's a remarkable driver. And, you know, yeah, it's easy to say that you know, the latest the latest stages of his career has not been kind, but that's just, that's what makes Kimi Raikkonen Kimi Raikkonen. He just didn't give a shit. That, that was, that's the beauty of Kimi, in, in, in an essence. It's, it's the, it's just the, I'm just here to have fun in the way that wouldn't come across as fun to anyone else. But to him, it was a hobby. And that's what, and that's that's so Kimmy. It just really is the way he's always been. But a, a, a phenomenal racing driver, one with, you know, an, an incredible talent. And like I said, box office entertainment. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to miss the old bastard. I really am. Because uh, like, I can't remember a time in Formula One, really, when Kimmy Raikkonen wasn't there. Because for me, in my childhood, when I grew up early 2000s, Fernando Alonso is the last one left. Yeah. Uh, last one of that generation. He, and he just logged back in. <laughs> but <laughs> other than in. other than Fernando, <laughs> and, and Kimmy logged out for a couple of years when uh mm. went, went to go do some trucks in. And some but, rallying. Uh, outside of uh outside of Alonso, that is it is the end of that era. Yeah, pretty much. It really and, is. Uh, Sarah is done. So what? So what do we make? Of the, what do we make real quick of the rest of the rumor mill? It's looking like George is going to Mercedes. We'll talk about that a bit more in depth later on when it's official, official. But Nick the Freeze and then Alfa Romeo. I did not see that rumor coming. Did you? It's already tied with Williams, and I guess something changed to where Albon became the front winner at Williams, but De Vries is still shopping in the window. To me, I don't really. I don't really think any of these choices are necessarily bad, but they all have their element of risk because 
Albon is coming in off a year being a reserve driver and being perceived as damaged goods. DeVries hasn't run, well, put it to you this way. Formula E is not necessarily relevant to Formula 1, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's going to be a huge thing to jump back well, I think that's. I, I think that's the reason why his name suddenly popped up with the news that Mercedes is donezo after next year in FE. Donezo. Dude is trying to secure something long-term for his career. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, DeVries Merck, is good enough. Yeah, I was gonna say because Mercs have got there's no guarantee Mercs will be able to flip their team in Formula E. They've already said they've hit stumbling blocks regarding potentially selling that team in the future. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, Albon, look, I, 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 it was it was too much too soon for Alex Albon. It was like it was like a supercharged version of Pierre Gasly's early career, where it's like. Do Pierre Gasly again, but at double speed, um, and it, 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 it's and that's how Alex Albon got chewed up and spat out by Red Bull Racing. And I think there's a decent driver in there, most certainly. And I think this is probably a a this is probably how Albon's career should have started in the first place, rather than put under immediate pressure to replace a, oh, yeah. an, another Red Bull guy that didn't work out in the eyes. I of the wouldn't bosses. be surprised if, and I know Horner's trying to get Alex a ride. Because I I, th- I genuinely think he wants that. I wouldn't be surprised if George was like, "Hey, you know my buddy Alex. He's pretty handy at driving these. So if you if you can't get me back uh, since I'm going to Mercedes, why not put my buddy in? I wouldn't be surprised if that exchange did not happen at some point. Yeah, he's quick. You know, he's got he's got he's got nice pets. Uh, yeah, no, he's <laughs> got one for the Twitch stream viewers out there, but. I, 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 you know. Who doesn't Good. love Horsey Albon other than the people who have read this and thought, oh man, I, I need to inject this into, into my body so I can fight out the COVID vaccine. <laughs> yeah, and as far as, uh, oh my fucking God. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't do, don't do something that will make you poop out your intestinal lining, please. No. Um, it's about damn time. As far as Russell with Mercedes, I don't need any more convincing after Saturday. Yeah. That's, that's, I really I, don't. I tried, Valtteri. I tried. You can't say I didn't you try. try. <laughs> I, I actually, we talked about this yesterday in the chat as well. I actually think it's a bigger risk given there is absolutely no guarantee where, te- where teams will be next year as far as mm. the form book. Mm. I think it's a bigger risk to keep Valtteri when, um, as a result of his Hungarian Grand Prix, mm. uh, pinball wizardry he didn't score points he could have scored a half point he didn't even score any points nope because of the uh the fallout from that and his eventual grid penalty yeah he needs he's now actively compromising mercedes and the world constructors yeah and again so is perez when he's bending the car in the recon lap again there are like two good second drivers in formula one this year maybe three there are yeah. exactly two, maybe three. Yeah. And, and we're not even counting Paris, who, by the way, has won a race. <laughs> this year. This year. There's multiple with a, wins. With a, dying, with a dying car as well. Yeah, Something else I that I didn't say. actually spot mm. until uh, mm. until today, actually. The upgrade push remains at Red Bull. Mm. And I don't think that they've brought the last parts of those cars. They want that title and they want it now. You know, like so. And they want to win at Zandvoort for their home for their home driver in his home race. So pick f- up f- your f- trash, f- 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 real quick. 
Zanfort have apparently banned flares for this weekend. How much do you want to bet that some orange will magically appear at <laughs> the weekend anyway? <laughs> uh, I, I give it five seconds. Will the visibility be better or worse than it was at Spa Francorchamps? I just can't so, wait no, for maybe. a boring two out of ten race to get us all back to normal after this past yeah, I'm weekend. Yeah, I'm not expecting much out of that track layout. It does look fun for a qualifying lap, but a bunch of tracks do that already. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed that uh, everybody keeps it clean, everybody behaves themselves because we, the Dutch's reputation precedes them at Zandvoort. Uh, everybody keeps it clean. No punch, no, no, no eye gouging, no biting, and no punches below the belt. Um, so, so hopefully Zandvoort doesn't end up being a complete stinker. I must admit, I have my doubts. Prove me wrong, Zandvoort. Prove well, me wrong. Line will be exciting. Definitely. But it normally is anyway, and that's always fun. So yes, the Dutch Grand Prix this weekend at Zandvoort, a year and a half in the making. Um, we'll be talking about that on next week's show. But places you can find this real quick in the meantime, we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter, motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow our personal handles, they're on the screen right now. If you're listening in, uh, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, at CBuckley917. We're on Instagram at Motorsport101Pod. You can follow us on there. Um, our website, Motorsport101.com, and Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101 if you'd like to back us financially on there. Five bucks for early access to all the audio shows, ten for the video versions, and the, able, the ability to live listen as we record the show on Discord. Um, We'll be back next week to talk the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. But until then, I'm off to get some soggy French fries and maybe some mayonnaise. Until then, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. Until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Enjoy your retirement, Kimmy. So, this is the post credit scene we were all promised, right? Yeah. No refund. Shit. Damn. I, I knew I shouldn't have enrolled in Bishop Sycamore High School. I got on <laughs> I heard that's where Cam Newton's going next. Uh, I heard that's where Tim Tebow's going next. Are you kidding me? Oh. We're bringing it back to the old school, buddy.